Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Building Public Podcast. I'm your host, KP, and today I am ready for a clinic on podcasting because I have the legend Sachit Gupta with me joining us from Miami. Sachit, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And you know what I just thought of? Uh, sort of based on like the pre-interview discussion we we're having, I am the complete opposite of build in public because <laughs> you've known me for how long? Like three, four years? And I, three, three and a half years. I just mentioned a bunch of projects and you're like, wait, you did that? And so this is going to be interesting because I'm the opposite so of So many of them that you just mentioned were like, what? Wait, really? Maybe this convinces me to like be more in public and, and share more in public. So, but, but it's awesome for me and the audience, you know, who tuned in or who are watching this because I get to do the archaeology side of like, all right, let's go dig yeah. deep into the side that I don't know much about such it. All right. So first let's set the table here. You've helped top creators with their podcasts, including Tim Ferriss, including some, you know, New York best-selling authors like Seth Cohen and so on and so forth. You've been in the podcasting game for at least seven, how many years? Give me a number. 10? 2012 is when it started, so 11. So yeah. officially 11 years. Dude, that's just... Wait, 11? 11? Yeah. It's wild. 11, that's wild, man. Massive respect. I think, you look, one of the things that I'm warming up to a lot more these days is because I'm now in the podcasting game, peripherally, I'd say, since 2021 January, which is two and a half years, and I've done 75 episodes, and I have a lot of respect for the game. It is not easy. It's not also not just not easy, but it's like pe most people, an average person on the street, if I pull them aside and said, you know, do you know how hard it is to take a podcast from like script to production to editing to like to the final publish and then to promotion? Like they don't even know. It's the closest thing I have is filmmaking, I think. Mm -hmm. But people respect filmmaking like it's some godly art. But people think podcasting is like some people shooting the shit forgetting all the steps. So huge respect. For, I've been bringing a lot of big uh, like creators on the show who are mostly in podcasting and you know, massive respect for 11 years. The first jump off point I have for you is what got you into the game at all? Like what, what was in your life that was like, huh, I'm going to get into podcasting. And this is 2012. Was it 2012 or was it much earlier than that? 2012. So, so I'll give you the quick origin story, but a quick point on what you made actually that we should discuss at some point, which is, when you're looking at all these mediums, right? Podcasting, movies, music, all of these have these inherent assumptions <laughs> that are there for creation, which actually might not be accurate. So like, for example, like podcasting, an inherent assumption is you have to publish every week. So you just have to mm. keep going, right? right? You're not gonna go to Kanye and be like, bro, publish a song every week, right? Like, like, like Or you two or yeah, anybody, his, yeah. His genius gonna... takes time. And we've sort of accepted this model because part of that is like algorithm driven, which is like, if you don't publish every week, people will forgot, forget or whatever. But I think it's just something to keep in mind where all of these mediums have these assumptions that are sometimes driven by the platforms, which are not the best for creative output. And, and I, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about that because even when you were saying like, I have 75 episodes, I've actually published less than you. Because really? I, no. I, my podcasting has been in spurts of like, creative energy, I learned something and then it's like, okay, I got to pull back and actually integrate it. Um, so that's just an interesting thing. It's like, that's an interesting thing. I, How, however, though, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you would agree that you've been small or big part of probably thousands of episodes at this point. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Which gives you a lot to me of exposure to mm -hmm. how the game is played, you know, which I think was the hardest part for me. 
Yes. Because when I was diving in, it felt like I was trying to learn scuba diving without any instructors, right? I mean, in theory, it's easy. I mean, it's like easy if you know it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was also nerve wracking. So, so, so um, yeah, l let me give you the origin story and then we'll, I'll give you yeah, a yeah, yeah. point. So yeah, 2011, I actually moved to San Francisco after quitting my corporate job at GE. And I was like, I just want to work with cool people and work with people I was inspired by. I had read this book in college called Recession Proof Grad by this guy, Charlie Hohn, hmm. who'd use this idea of free work to work with Tim Ferriss and Ramit Sethi. I was like, I'm just gonna use this. So I literally like took the email from his book, copied it, and 2011 emailed like hundreds of startups and people that I was inspired by. One of the people who said yes was Andrew Warner from Mixergy. And yeah, so, I love Andrew, that's so, awesome, so, yeah. So, so that turned into like a small project working with him, and the next year he wanted to like help with something else, hired me for it, did a bunch of stuff for him, at, and at one point I was like, this sponsorship thing in your business, like, I think I can do it better, you kind of suck at it. And he's like, I don't want to do it, so take over. Um, so I took it over, we did really well. Um, and I built this like expertise in like audience growth at that point. So I basically consolidated what I was doing to like those two things. Um, and from there it just exploded. I, I still remember there was a mastermind in August 2015 where I decided I'm gonna focus on podcasters. Like the, 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 the guy who was leading it, um, this guy Sam Ovens, who you've probably heard of, um, he was like, everyone should pick a niche. And I was like, All right, mine's gonna be podcasters. And I remember wow. writing, in three years, I want to work with Tim Ferriss. Like that was the goal, right? Like, cause even then he was that big. And that happened. Yes. And, right. And well, the, the story is even crazy. Like the, the universe has its own ways of connecting things. And so I was like, maybe someone will intro or whatever. And someone actually offered and I was like, wait, don't make it yet. I'm not ready. A month later, I get an email inquiry from Tim Ferriss. Sachet, we heard a few from XYZ. Tim is looking for a right hand person. Is that something you'd be interested in? So, <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah so so that led to working with tim um did audience growth for him not podcast specific like audience growth and then that led to working with seth where i also did audience growth and it was sort of this journey where i was i realized like i was like first time i mastered audience building and then i mastered audience monetization right which is like sponsorships clients and stuff and at some point i realized um and actually it was through the show chef's table where i don't know if you've seen it um they basically like profile like like high profile chefs um mm. michelin stars and all, and all of that and there's a really interesting pattern. At some point in their career, every chef goes, I have to start my own farm mm -hmm. because I have to control the wrong ingredients, right? And I was like, right. hmm, we can market and all this stuff, but like, if the show isn't great, none of what I do works. So, so really that brought me into, I'm gonna start my own show and we launched that and now we basically can, can do all three parts of it. So that's the conscious creators. Exactly. Lay, lay this yeah. one. And, and conscious creators was really like a lab to be like, can I do this and can I build this myself? Now, um, I didn't expect it to blow up or whatever, but we launched it, we ran our growth playbook. It did massively better than I ever expected. And, and that created a story actually that I think I'm still unraveling. Because honestly, like, I don't think I was ready for that level of fame right when I launched. So, so I love to front load the value and insights for anybody listening. Yeah, it's something I'm learning these days. So on that theme, I would love for you to drop a few nuggets of what would make for that great launch playbook. If somebody listening to this wants to launch their podcast in the next 30 days, you know, what can you teach them or what can you advise them on? How should they run the playbook? Right. So it, it obviously like it depends on what you're optimizing for, right? And I think in this world that we live in, hype unfortunately plays a huge part. And so for, <laughs> for podcasting, which is considered a very hard medium to grow, if you can basically like engineer a launch that works, it, it gives you a lot of positioning, right? And so what we understood about the iTunes algorithm was it cares more about velocity of growth than yeah. growth. So if you have a thousand downloads and you add another thousand, it's way better than a show having a hundred thousand downloads and adding another thousand. 
because mm-hmm. the, the the ratio and the velocity is way more right. And so we basically leveraged it. And uh, my background is in paid ads, so we've really mastered that. We've now integrated that with like community and paid ads, and it's basically getting a lot of attention really fast. It's like launching a book on New York Times bestseller list or whatever. And um, if you can create enough of that, it just climbs. So for example, like when I did my show, um, we ended up on number two in the business category, number 25 wow. in the country. Um, we launched wow. a show in Germany last year, which was a really interesting experience because I don't speak German, so I was literally producing a different language. That was top 50 in 24 hours in the country, number one business in five days. And so the, the sort of way to think about it is like, how do you get as much traffic as possible? I personally like using paid ads because that's, that's what our background and, and my background is. And so when you do a paid ad, would it be like when you say paid social or paid Google, like what works best for podcasting? That's honestly like a game of whack-a-mole where something works and then it stops working and then you got to do it here. So mm. when I launched my show, we were, I think, buying ads in like iPhone apps. So mm. we would open an iPhone app, it would be like a banner ad for a podcast. We've done um, newsletters and, and different places. So it's, it's, I think the, the best marketers like don't stick to a tool, they stick to a strategy. Strategy. Right? So like mm. strategy is like as much attention as possible. Now, like someone like you, right? Like you have a lot of community experience and friends. So I would go, don't do paid media hit up everyone you've helped for like the last whatever years and be like, just start this like, sort of like distributed campaign to get a lot of people to download, mm. right? So in your case, that might work better than paid media because that's the relationship and network you've built. Right. And so you, when you ask, not, not, not the person, but I'm just saying, I think one thing I've learned is to, there's two, two lessons I've recently warmed up to. One being um, from Hermosi, which you know, we touched on earlier, mm-hmm. where it is as big of a deal as you make it out to be. So nothing is a big deal, objectively. You, as the author slash creator slash you know, founder, have to make it a big deal. So I, I advise the same thing even for product and launches. Founders are like, KP, like, I don't know what would people... I'm like, no, 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 you should make it a big deal for yourself, which will be contagious. And other people will think like, yo, maybe I should help him or yeah. her, right? So number one is make it a big deal. So I think I didn't realize that power when I launched my thing. But I'm warming up to, to your point where if you make your launch a big deal by acting like it, it will be a big deal, number yes. one. Number two is um, people actually surprise you at how much they want to help you. And I think that's something that we don't, you know, it's very contradictory. We think like it's very selfish to go and ask someone to download our app yeah. uh, or rate or upload or whatever. But they want to help you. They just don't get asked and they don't get asked in a way where it's low friction. Yes. Would you agree? It's about making it easy for people, right? Like, yeah. like a, lot of, a lot of times people make it hard. I'll actually tell a quick story from a marketing campaign we launched because I know you want to touch on the Rohit Sharma thing. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that tells the story really well. Um, so this is back in 2014. I was working and basically like running digital ads for this company called Restless Action Drink. And our, um, what do you call it? What's the word for it? The celeb- celebrity endorsement person. Celebrity partner endorsement was, was, yeah. was this guy, Rohit Sharma, who if you're in India, you know who he is. The big deal, right? He, he, yeah. He's like the captain of the Indian cricket team at this point. Right. And so he was the endorser, right? And so we were doing this event where he was coming to our office and he was going to basically like play cricket with people and like just like sign autographs or whatever, right? And I was like, hmm, right before the event, let's get questions from the audience or people. And then we can like ask him those questions and record and that will be content. And now, nice. and so the, the easiest thing would be to be like, tweet, hey, Rohit Sharma's coming to our office, tell us questions to ask, right? But like Twitter algorithm doesn't work. And with that company, we built a massive email list. So I was like, let's not just tweet, let's email the people and tell them like the first X questions are going to be selected. So people have like more of an incentive to go and ask quickly. questions, right? Yeah. So, so first we added that. Second thing I was like, but like, I really want to make sure that like these questions get in front of him and people do it right. So we basically use this thing called click to tweet 
And the yeah. link, like if you click the link, it would basically open Twitter. And it literally had our, our handle, Rohit's handle, the hashtag that we wanted, with literally like square brackets with insert question here. So we make it, made it really easy for people, right? And it was like really simple. And so we just send that email. And Rohit comes into our office and he's like, how are you doing this? Like, I don't <laughs> get these many people responding to me or asking me questions. He's being mentioned in every possible right. tweet there. Exactly. And so what we did was, the other thing we did was, if you post it on Twitter, the algorithm would only show it to a few people, right? By, by starting it from the email, it was like, everyone just got a blast. And it was like, Rohit Sharma is coming in one hour. Ask your question. And here's the, like, how to make it like really easy, right? So like by connecting all of this, we just made it really easy for people to take action. And I think a lot of times people don't think about that. Like how many times do you get a request from someone and you're like, I want to help you, but I have to do like 50 things to be able to help you, right? People will send me a podcast. I'm like, can you send this to me in a notion with a transcript so I can leave comments for you? And then people don't yeah. reply. It's like, like make it easy for me to help you. Right. Yeah. Um, we, we, we're actually creating a process uh, internally for clients now. Recently, uh, I talked to my designer about this today morning. It's literally like the, the, the module is going to be how to give feedback. Because mm -hmm. we're like, clients aren't giving the best feedback. Well, have we told them how we want feedback? No. So we're going to teach clients how to actually get feedback on design yeah. so that like, it's actually like, useful for us. So I think people just don't make yeah. things easy for people or have empathy for that. Yeah. So uh, I get a lot of compliments from um, someone of my founder friends and my you know, people in my circle saying, Kibi, you're a great marketer, right? I love it. I'm grateful but they haven't met you. You're the real great marketer, I think, in my books, because what you just described, the way your mind works is so different than the way my mind works at, at rest. Wait, you know? say more, say more, because this is helpful for me. <laughs> Take the clip, but I'm serious. Uh, I think I'm very much a community-driven, you know, it's like a very different angle. I approach things very differently, but your, your analytical plus, um, you know, I think, acumen the the marketing acumen you just naturally tend to have is is very showing you know i love that i love the way you thought about that whole whole um Rohit Sharma campaign actually tell me the story of how you landed that gig in the first place because it's I, i'm sure top celebrity you know one of the biggest sports people in indian um context and uh launching an energy drink you know that that's amazing for your brand how did that happen um so <laughs> the answer is an easy one because it was my cousin who had the energy drink but I will actually give something that's useful for people, which is, and this honestly is like the secret of how I built my network. It's this concept called trust the generals, which is what people usually do, right? Let's say you want to make Hormozy. You're going to like be like, what's the best thing I could send Hormozy? Or like, what is the right. tweet, right? People, people spend too much time reaching, trying to reach the influencer, but they already have people coming to him. They're like, they don't have any time. But all of them have these advisors that they turn to for advice. So a lot of times what I've done is I've built relationships with the advisors they're the ones actually doing the stuff. Like they know what's going on, right? Like the influencers just like influencing. They don't know what the fuck's going on in their company because mm. like no influencers doing both. I think that's another secret that people don't understand. It's like right. there's a face and there's a company builder and, and the yeah. best have both. It's like one person doing both is very rare. And so I try and build relationships with not the primary person, but like with the, their advisors. And, and so but how, that does way, that, well, how does that look like in real life? Give us, give us a couple examples. I'll, I'll give you the Tim Ferriss thing actually. Uh, so the way that actually happened was, um, going back to that book, Charlie, Recession Proof Grad, um, so I, I got the gig with Andrew, and I basically emailed uh, Charlie. I was like, Charlie, I used your email, and I got this gig. And then I was like, I got this gig, and we did this. I always like, just kept him updated. Apparently what happened, Tim or someone on the team reached out to Charlie, and were like, we want to hire someone like you. Charlie's like, well, this, wow. this kid's been emailing me for four years, and he's like made progress. Let me recommend him, right? 
Wow. And so I didn't do anything. Someone Tim trusted recommended me and that's what wow, worked. That's a huge unlock for me, man. That's amazing. Yeah. But, but the thing is, wow. that's how we make our big, most biggest decisions, right? We go to people we trust and yeah. like, like, who do you trust? Because that's like what I'm thinking right now. Like if, if you have to get to me, I'm thinking about, I mean, I'm not like that big, but I'm just saying like, I have four or five people that I trust really well. And if they say something, if they co-sign, that's golden to me. I don't need to vet them. First of all, they're doing me a service because I don't want to vet. Yeah. Vetting is a pain in the ass. But um, so instead of coming through me directly, which is a busy channel through all the mm -hmm. public channels, you can come through the back door. Damn, yeah. that's smart. And, and think about like, like I think the, my biggest challenge yeah. there, even thinking about it before this conversation with you though, I think I kind of knew this, but I felt like the resistance that I had was like, what would I talk to? Let's say Phil Toronto, you know, Gary V's right hand man. I'm like, why would I talk to Phil Toronto? Like, I know Gary and I love, I know that he loves immigrants and we have a lot, I know we have a lot in common, but I don't know what I would talk to Phil Toronto about. I think that's where my, I was stuck until oh, that's this unlock. Is, I mean, everything I've learned about the creator economy has been from being on these teams and observing and asking questions. So, so for me, it was like, I'm basically doing research and I'm doing research at a different scale, right? Because Tim knows his team, his staff. Seth knows his team, his staff. Someone else knows, I'm like kind of like getting knowledge across the board. Across the board. And so, mm -hmm. so if I was with uh, Gary's right hand, um, what would I ask him? Uh, or Seth, for example. I think you worked with Seth. Like, yes. What were some conversations like with his team for you, for example? Uh, this, this is great because you're actually setting this up for me in, in the best way. The way that <laughs> Seth's thing happened too was, um, there's another, and I love, like, I'm, I'm glad I get to shout out these people. Uh, Willie Jackson, who... Uh, he worked with Seth around 2010 when Seth did this, like, before Alt MBA, I forget it was called, I think it was like a six-month MBA thing. And Seth announced, like, all of these people, like, started, like, working or were working with him. I literally, like, I think I was, was I, in, I it was either in college, I was working at my corporate job at GE. I emailed Willie, and I'm like, literally, it was like, how the fuck do you get this job? <laughs> Basically, right? And Willie's like, yeah. okay, you, you sound like an internet person. Uh, this is 10 years ago, so, like, Internet people was not as common as it is I now. Know. He's like, right. I'll respond to you. And he like, we connected and then kept him updated. And so I started working with him. I saw Seth's team was running ads and like the advert was not good. It was clear like they were just like testing out. Took a screenshot, sent it to Billy being like, hey, this is what you guys are doing. If you guys need any help, no hard sell. Let me know if I can help. So I didn't hear back. And then he's like, send me this email again. Remove this part. Keep this. I'll send it to Seth. Send it to Seth. Uh, Seth emailed me, asked a question. I replied to it and I never heard back. And I was like, all right, this is done. So... Someone from Seth's team, actually, um, she ran all the MBA West, uh, who runs Maven now. Yeah, with scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, she, so she reached out and she was like, hey, uh, we want to learn this. We don't want to hire it out. I'm like, sure. Um, and I was like, I'll do calls with you guys. Like, like I'll just teach you this. You don't have to pay me because Seth's work had, a, had all of this impact. Like, whatever. I'll just show you guys. Uh, I think we did two calls and they were like, uh, we don't want to do this. Can we hire you? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's and so, but, brilliant. Yeah, but that also came from like someone I just like emailed him who he trusted. Right. And so, and there's your, I mean, this is just brilliant, man. I think most people don't talk about this. Let me tell you this. I've listened to like hundreds of episodes mm -hmm. of this kind of topics. I haven't heard this playbook, this, the one you're sharing right now, which is going through, you said, uh, Wilson, what's his name? Willie Jackson. In this case, it was Willie, Willie yeah. or Wes or any of these people, you know, to get to, Seth. by the way, I've emailed Seth in 2011. He and I, we emailed each other back and forth, but I had to like bust my ass off to get to his attention level. Cause you know, like he's got thousands yeah. of emails and I did like some crazy shit back when I was at Vanderbilt. I did like purple cow campaign or whatever. Cause he was, you know, purple cow was the book he wrote. And I wrote for 700 days nonstop 
on my blog and I would sh- every like three so you, months. You wrote him for 700 days. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't write him, but I, I wrote on the blog. Mm-hmm. I was posting like some of the stuff and I would ping him like periodically every three months. Once I would send, send him an email saying, thanks for you for impact. Here's what I wrote. Eventually he got tired of me and he said, KP, I mean, I don't think he got tired. He was saying, how can I help you? What can I, you know, what do you want? And I said, I, 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 I'd love to meet you. And he, so he gave me tickets to his, one of his conference in, mm-hmm. conferences in New York which I felt sick the night before and I couldn't go. So I, I passed it on to some other Seth fan. But all I remember was he like emailed me saying, KP, you're a legend in one of my emails. And I framed that for like, you know, for like, I don't know, for a year. But like what I'm trying to get to is the fact that I, I've always thought that was the only way, you know, which is just literally, um, you know, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. We're, I know both of us know that, but it just, you've enlightened me on this other side where think about, the people behind the brand. Yeah. It's not just Seth, right? And I'm like, damn, now that I'm thinking, wow. I, I, and you don't need to wait to add value to them. It, it's, I think we all look for the direct thing, like like shortest, it's a very like masculine thing. But if you can <laughs> notice like, like nature like does things indirectly, mm. right? It's like we're like order, like direct, but nature is fucking chaos. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and, and by the way, here's another thing about this that actually I just, like it, it hit me, which is then like, I'm not doing anything. This person's telling that person about me. Yeah. Then they reach out if they like it. So it's like, the, the, there's, there's always a power dynamic going on, right? Yeah. And, and these things, it's like, it's flipped because you're, you're reaching out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Versus them reaching out for your need. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? I mean, yeah. Which versus me cold emailing. So, so whenever people ask, like, uh, what's the best cold email you've gotten? The one from Tim's team. <laughs> I don't think I will ever beat that. Right? Inquiry from Tim. Okay, so tell me about Creator MBA. Tell me about why you started it or what were some big lessons from there, from that? Yeah. And then where is it evolving to now? Yeah, so, so Creator's MBA was um, started after OnDeck, um, which we were both part of. And yeah. it, <laughs> we should talk about it at some point. I think the listeners would be like, who are these guys? How do they know each other? And like, we should talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Um, the, the, the idea is, and it's honestly the thing that I've been sort of working on for the last 10 years, which is, if you're a creator, if you build an audience, how do you build a business around it, right? And, and for me, um, it's been this sort of like exploration of like whether it's coaching, whether it's communities, whether it's education. And, and so I sporadically did a lot of coaching between 2017 and 2021, but never really built into something because I think really the thing that was blocking it was like, I didn't want to be public. So I would only coach people who like came to me. Um, until 2019, by the way, if you look for me online, you would not find me. It was, <laughs> it was very like dark because I, I had the Behind clients the I wanted. Scenes. Yeah, I had the clients I wanted. Um, and so, so I launched it like really after one day because I, basically it's, we went through this period of two years where like, I think like more than like half a billion or whatever was invested in the creator economy. Yeah. And it's basically been just like, it's like, I wish they just give me, I'd go on my roof and throw it. And maybe that was a better use because all that money was just lit on fire. Um, creators at the end of the day care about two things. Help me make more income and help me get a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's actually, it's the bigger audience piece is there because they think that drives more income, which actually is not accurate. You can make more income with a much smaller audience, but like those are the things that creators care about, right? And so uh, it was launched to just focus on that. Um, I launched it as a core thing. I was really burned out after Rondek. Didn't really like sell that many people into it. I think it was two. I was like, wait, this is really weird compared to 100 people. But the interesting thing is again, you're on a mega cohort. You're on a mega cohort at Rondek, the 100 plus. 100 plus, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, it's like nature does things indirectly, and like. One of the things I've been working on really is like, when you stay standing, you actually start listening, you start getting ideas. And so what happened with Creators MBA was one, like two people joined, kind of like put it on ice. Then one of those people came back and they were like, hey, I want you to coach me on how to do this because like all the education is good. But when you get that email from a brand being like, 
blah, 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 blah. How do you actually respond, right? How do you know what's going on? What are they saying? But what are they actually saying behind the lines? Like, you can't learn that from a course. And I was like, right. I'll, I'll start coaching you. And instead of like managing the deals, I'll start coaching you and I'll drop my percentage of, compared to what an agency would take because it aligns incentives. And she said, yes. Um, first month, she did tens of thousands of dollars, crushed it. Um, our income, like what we would have charged her for like a year. A cohort spot or a, yeah, or a right? membership. And we've made that in like quarters and like, it's like, so it's like we've both won, right? And so what's happening with Creators MBA now is um, inspired by Hormozzi, um, in the next few years, I plan on basically open sourcing everything I've learned about like getting sponsors, brand deals, all this stuff. And the way we're going to monetize is we're going to work with a few people and just like think of it as maybe like private equity or whatever you want to call it, uh, ref share slash, uh, arrangement where we like co-develop stuff. Hmm. I, I just had this written down in my journal the other day is give away the education and charge the implementation which is Hermozzi's whole thing. And it's so counterintuitive. I'm like, I feel so dumb for arriving at that conclusion much later. But I feel like a lot of people still haven't you're, arrived. You're, you're, you're still early, yeah. It's I'm just, saying, yeah. I think a lot of people are still trying to like guard their yeah. real value. So I just, I well, just published, um, I had one of, one of the best interviews with Danny Miranda uh, at the, so, so just to catch you up, we did the, uh, we just announced the, the podcast fellowship. We, we're yeah. going to go into the on deck podcast, but like, I just did the Building Public Podcast Fellowship, right? Announced it. I really wanted to run quickly and test the waters. So we had eight paid fellows and two scholarships and we just went, we went to market quick. Um, in one of the episodes or one of the sessions, I've invited a Fireside Chat guest, which is um, Danny Miranda, who yep. I love Danny. He's got great. similar energy like me. Um, killed it, crushed it. Like people were like, like jaw dropped kind of level. In the past, I would have guarded this under like, oh, I'm going to save this for BIPPF2 or whatever shit. Immediately, I just told my team, let's put this on air. I mean, let's put this on yeah. my podcast and on YouTube and on website so that people get a sense of what it's like inside, right? I think that's the biggest thing. Even on deck, I mean, dude, I know. Dude, all the sessions that we recorded, like. Gold. Lost. All of it's gone, lost. evaporated, like you lost. said. And I feel so dumb looking back, even within my own building public fellowship. I'm like, there's so many golden gems that I had in the sessions that were just guarded by yeah. 12 people who watched it. And so only recently I finally warmed up to this idea of what you're arriving at, which is, you know what? The magic really is in implementation. Mm -hmm. And if they're really like only the, only, among, let's say a class of hundred people, only four or five will have all-star outcomes. And they frankly don't care about rev share percentages as much. I mean, they're willing to work with you is yeah. what I'm trying to get to. And so you'll make all the money from that as opposed to <laughs> trying to charge the people who are not even as committed. Yes. You know, yeah. so you're right, you're on the right track, so, brother. Yeah. You know, I'm on the I'm same realization so, that I just had. So, 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 so a few things on what you said, because a lot of it was like counterintuitive too. But the first one is what you just said, which is like the top people are willing to pay a ref share. Yes. A lot of the times we believe like they're going to nickel and dime you. Yes, but the thing, not. But the thing I've learned from, by the way, this, do you see, just see what just happened? This is a new Apple thing. It's like, if I do this, oh, yeah. it makes sense. It's, it's oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, so, the top people will actually pay it, right? Like Seth, one of the best marketers in the world, was like, I need to do Facebook ads. I'm not gonna figure it out. Like, what do you charge? Like, the best people pay for experts. And I think a lot of times we believe that like, oh, they're not gonna do that. Or like, if I ask for a ref share, like, no, if you do your work well, they will pay for it. Um, I think the second thing, thing I also, always, always think about is like this like idea of like creator content business model fit. Right? And so I think there, there are some creators who are geared towards courses. Like I think Ali Abdal is excellent at creating content. Right. His course is, I've, I've heard it's amazing. 
And right. um, it's interesting, actually, like when he came to services, he partnered with someone else because maybe that's not like where his core skill set is, right? Um, I did an interview with Eamon from AppSumo who ran AppSumo. And he's like, dude, your podcast process is insane. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And he's like, you're good at providing service at a high level. Why not just do that? And so mm. that's why we put, because it also, in, from, in terms of a business model, it's where like providing high level services to people who are at the top who have yeah. crazy expectations. I just know how to do that because so this is a, you, like the white glove, the white glove service. Exactly. And you're great at that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And it's, I mean, I, I still remember like times like working with Seth and Tim, I'd, I'd message their team and be like, Hey, do you want to get on a call? And they'd be like, nah, like you're good because it, I was like the one problem they didn't have to take care of. So they're like, if you're doing your work and I was traveling around, like no one cared because the work was getting done. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is where, uh, so it's kind of like the being the founder the within being a founder within their team, of course they would like that, right? Because you have yeah. the ownership DNA. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I took over Mixergy sponsorship, ran it, grew it from 50K to half a million a year in four years. And like, Andrew didn't have to do much. He, he actually has a video where he says, he's like, you're the CEO of this. Um, <laughs> I don't know the point of this. Oh, um, th this is another thing I'm, I'm actually thinking about a lot, which is like the AI and content. So I believe that with AI, there's going to be this like Cambrian explosion of content um, mm. where we're going to create way more. We won't know what's real. Right? I actually just had a call with someone. They were like, yeah, we have like all these podcasts, half our AI hosted. I was like, what? <laughs> I have any idea, right? And so like, if this is where we're going and there's all this content, we actually don't know what's true or real at mm. this point, right? Like if you've seen something yeah. on the internet screenshots, you don't know what's true or real. Right. So if you're trying to parse something or make sense of something, what do you do? You go to people you trust, mm. right? So we're actually like social media, which was like one to mass, that one to mass has gone to such an extreme that it's driving us back to one to one, which is relationships, <laughs> trust, right? Mm. It's like, it's not like go shout and avoid on social media. Mm. And so for me, I'm really thinking about like story brand relationships. Like those are the things that, that are going to drive business. And I actually want to try and... <laughs> is, that, yeah, is, is your birthday today? <laughs> I'm going to let's see if I can turn this off. Oh, there you go. Um, so funny. Uh, but yeah, I think like those three things are going to drive business more than like posting on social media. There's this article called the Tim Ferriss effect, which talks about like how being mentioned on his blog or podcast can just like crazily influence book, book downloads. Right. And I, yeah. I remember actually someone tweeted. Someone, it's like the Oprah effect. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like the Oprah effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And someone, I remember someone tweeted, they were like one blog or podcast can change your life. And I was like, that's actually false because if you have a product, the right pop being mentioned on the right podcast can completely change your business. hundred percent. Right. And so like now let's say you're working on marketing. Is it better to spend, and, and you've done this, so, so you have data on this, a year building a Twitter following or like a year target de developing relationships with the right people who can then shout something out that you're building? Obviously What's, the latter, right? And is in it, fact, is I, it? I don't know for sure because I don't... No, actually, genuinely don't. The, I mean, I just made a... This is so funny because I just made a tweet yesterday and I was like, for some reason, uh, one of my Google Docs showed up and I was searching for some keyword and Google Docs showed up and it was July 2020. And I took a screenshot of that and I said, biggest goal ever is um, build leverage on the internet, right? And this is me, the 2020 me talking, this is before on deck because I joined in, in uh, September, this is July. Today, um, I don't know many top creators. I don't have relationships with, I was trying to describe my condition, my situation, and I want to change this. And here's the list of people that I want relationships with, like Arvid Kaur, a bunch of these names, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. now they're really my friends, it's yeah. funny. And all these people that I wrote a list of, and then I said, I'm at 2,500 followers. I don't care. I, uh, if I get to 10,000, it'll be a miracle, right? And uh, I, I have email, same thing. I had like, I think 300 followers. And I'm like, if I get to 5,000, it's a miracle. And, uh, but one other criteria I wrote though is that in this pursuit, I want to make sure I don't lose my DNA. 
mm-hmm. and which is i put four bullet points uh positive sum warm and um like hype i got for a bunch of words like that right uh, energetic and all that and i look back and i was like first of all i took a moment to really be proud of that cuz mm-hmm. in this grind we're constantly chasing what's next what's yeah, next you, i'm you like you got it done i got it done plus yeah. four i think i got 47000 i'm like are you i, I can't believe it you know i'm like wait but just the, for just the, for that just for that that's for that. oh thank you thank you and like like i like i wished for i have top creators like you as friends i can really like send you a particular pitch and say sachit what's a quick take on this right mm-hmm. same thing with like anybody like you said so but what we don't i think what, what for my big lesson there was that you don't just want the audience like a meme page on instagram has more audience than me and you combined like i will never outblast or outcompete a shit posting reddit page on instagram or twitter yeah they have 500,000 600,000 a million 2 million top of the funnel quote unquote but they literally cannot even sell a sock a single pair of sock yep. socks or t-shirt you know and so what you really want is attention and trust yeah ideally even if you don't have attention that's why when when everybody's like you know max is uh, musk is like effing up the twitter algorithm i'm like i don't care even if my posts get 400 views out of 4000 which is like 0.1% i don't care i get such a reply or i get like chanel who's one of my favorite yeah. newsletter writers drew riley she's great she's great yeah she's great we want those people to reply and read yeah really that's what like so it's, to me it's almost still it sounds so dumb but it's like a group chat still i felt like a group chat in 2020 twitter was like a group mm-hmm. chat for me and after all this it's still like that that's, you know that's interesting so, I do care about the top line from the lens of like how many reps am I putting? Right. So like it's almost like a one-to-one relationship by the way. I feel like uh, this is something Harmozi also talks about. He says if you really saw how much I how much work I put in for this new book, The 100 Million Leads, you think I'm dumb as rocks. I personally think the same thing. If you saw how many reps I put to get to 47k, you think I'm dumb as rocks. I got 37,200 tweets. Right. So it's one to 1.5 relationship. Yes. It's not great man like there are people who have like 600 tweets and I have 40,000 followers you know so I'm actually really low uh in terms of efficiency interesting efficiency like, wise like your reps to follower ratio is way less terrible it's like worse than like yeah, some of these other d- dumb accounts I I wonder how much of this is because of what you just said which is you're not playing to the algorithm and so exactly. so, so th- th- this is actually my thing with social media um There's an interview Hasan Minhaj did on with Colin Samir that he talks about it which is like he talks about how if you're doing a comedy show right and someone's like yelling you see the normal people but you don't like and you hear kind of like hear the crazies so you know like the crazies are only a small part yeah on the internet it's like you only hear the crazies so you think that's yeah. everyone right and so like, I think a few things have happened like one I think this overdone window of like what's acceptable has yeah. shifted so something that would be extreme like 5 years ago is, is like ex- normal now normal right? now And if things keep getting more extreme, my at least what I think is you almost have to like do more extreme stuff on social media to build a more controversial stuff. Right? That's see, that's what we, you you become a performative monkey. But my thing is this. That is precisely why we need to have the alternate so creators actually, like you and me play the game. The problem is most people are exiting the game because they're seeing this is a circus and they're like I don't want to be a performative yeah. monkey. But my 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 thing is like but that's exactly why you should be in the game because otherwise it'd be left with only performative monkeys. Yeah. And so what we're trying to figure out is like how do we just do this all without social media? It's mm. it's in 6 months I will have an answer. We have a very specific plan. Um <laughs> yeah. if this works, I'm I'm just going to delete all of it because it's the, 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 again like the, the extremes are getting more extreme. 
And I get worried of like, oh, like, do I almost have to do something freaking crazy, like cut off my arm to get a like, like, is that, is that what's going to happen? But, but that's not stupid, but like, that's where it's going. I know. I know, but there's two, here's the thing though. I think I fully agree with that. And I, I feel tempted sometimes to kind of fall into this trap of like, okay, if you watch YouTube, right? If you see YouTube, what Mr. Beast has, you know, normalized is spectacles. Like you literally have to put on a freak show. Yes. Like a spectacle. And the whole thing about first seven seconds, the thumbnail matters, the title matters. So every second microanalyzing, it's almost like junk food, right? How, you know, McDonald's microanalyzes what ingredients gets you, you know, wanting to taste the fries and never put them down. So there's the junk foodization of social media that's happening left, right, center. We know that. But my whole point is that because if you watch a particular YouTube video featuring Mr. Beast within 10 seconds, you know, you walk away. I never walked away feeling like I'm inspired, I'm moved, I'm touched. Yeah. Mostly I feel like it's a gimmick or man, how much money must have gone into this dumbass gimmick? Not in a good way. I mean, not in a mean way. I just think that it's just dumb gimmick, you know? Yeah. I I don't have nothing. I I love Mr. Beast. I just think that too much, right? It, it's a, he's playing a different game, right? Like I consider Mr. Beast more like Petey Barnum. And like he's yeah, putting on right. a show and a spectacle. Putting on a show. Not everyone but, needs to but, do that. But everybody's copying that, obviously. Like you said, like everyone tries to drink from the same thing. They're like, oh, this is maybe that's what I should do, my spectacle, spectacle. What I'm trying to lean towards is the opposite. But like I want the world to have the opposite voices still win, but I have to trade off something. I have to, they have to, they have to be some sacrifice. They have to, yeah. I have to sacrifice the goat or some kind of whatever, you know? Yeah. The, the sacrifice that I have to give is that there will not be any quick ROI results in yeah. years. And, and actually, but in decades, hell yes. And in terms of impact, hell. So I watched this episode, uh, this video by Mr. Rogers. I think you'll relate to this. Oh, he's At, great. Um, you love Mr. You, you know, right, Rogers? Yeah. So this is Charlie Rose, 1995 or something, one episode of him, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, Mr., Mr. Rogers was basically dealing with the stuff that you and I are dealing with, where every childhood um, any any show geared towards children in those 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, four decades was filled with hyperbole, yeah. like blackface, like dumb shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like racist undertones or throwing kids off the bed and like laughing like physical comedy, right? Like dumb comedy. Yeah. And Mr. Rogers was genuinely concerned that some silly kid is going to attempt that dumb stunt mm-hmm. because they don't know anything. They're kids, yeah. right? And so... Charlie Rose asks him at the end of this whole career, 40 years in the game, how many lives do you think you've impacted across 40 years? And he just won Hall of Fame in television, which is one of the greatest, you know, things. That speech, by the way, when he won that is, I don't know if you've seen it, is epic. I've seen it. He walks his, he rushes his own I'll, intro. I'll watch the clock. I'll watch the clock. You know what I'm talking and about. And he says, yeah. he, he gives the best one-liner example, like, because Charlie Rose is kind of like the normal person, mm-hmm. right? He says, I don't care how many lives I've impacted, even if the number is one. If there's a kid down there who has a Down syndrome, and when I wrap up my show and hang up my my boots and say it's a wrap for my Mr. Rogers, you know, legacy, and I go to the end of the stage, if that kid gives me a hug, I think I won life. I think that is the perspective that I feel like people like you and I should draw from. Yes. Because otherwise, of course, I can never play the performative monkey game. Yeah. I just don't want that, you know? And, but but, but by any definition, did Mr. Rogers win or lose? I think he won. By 40 years, though, there was no Dude, quick win. We're two freaking kids from India talking about Mr. Rogers. So, like, he won. He really won. Yeah. He went, went after. How many, how many years after his death? Yeah. 15, 20 years after his death, or maybe something like mm-hmm. that, right? 
So I genuinely think there were so many people who, who did the short-term tactics during his era in 70s, which you and I are not talking about. So Mr. Beast, I, con I generally concerned to think about him. I, I'm worried about him that is he thinking about his legacy or is he thinking about just P.T. Barnum shit, you know? I, I think so. of Mr. Beast almost as like, as, this is the interesting thing is like, when you look at like how Hollywood has shifted, like he's now actually the talent, mm -hmm. the yeah, studio talent. and yeah. like, like the distribution, like where he's basically merged all through, right? So like, I think of him as a more of a studio, but let, let's actually talk about the big creator lie. Cause I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's, if you don't think about this, you don't notice it. But when you first see it, you realize everything that is online about creators comes from this and is a huge lie, which is Whoa. we've created What's this, that? we've created this sort of like expectation that we have to get max views, right? Everyone's optimizing for audience and max views. And why is that? Because mo the biggest way most people want to monetize is sponsorships or ads. And it's based on number of views. It's a mm. CPM game, right? So it's like, if I get a thousand views versus a hundred thousand versus a million views, like my sponsored revenue will lin linearly change based on that. That's right. a fucking lie. Mm. So when we do podcast, like, I mean, I remember like Mixed podcast sponsorship, right? Like I think I'm sure you've heard like podcast CPMs are standards like 25 or whatever. Right. We were doing hundred plus. And wow. we were, we were like, so Andrew published three times a week, two ads a podcast. I still remember the numbers. It was 312 ad slots in a year. That's a lot of ad slots. We would start some years, like by the second week, 60 to 80% of the inventory is sold. Like we wow. were just crushing it, right? And none of them, I think like a few people asked us for CPMs. I didn't even tell people what the CPM was because I would just like frame the discussion. And so just by changing that, we went from max optimization to ROI. Like what kind of content will give our sponsors the best ROI and not like the biggest downloads, right? We didn't even have like a crazy download change in like the four years, but like people still kept paying because the audience was different. And so, so much of the creator stuff is max views for max sponsor dollars. When you just remove this and you start looking at everything people are saying that you should do, you're like, why? Mm. Right? Why? Wow. Um, and then in terms of monetization, how did the discussion with the brands work out in terms of ROI? Well, what was the uh, lens they were uh, using? I'll give, you my, I'll give you my first, uh, this is my, one of my favorite calls I've ever done because it changed the game. Um, John, like I started doing sponsorship for Mixergy. He had this like format, all of these people had applied for sponsorships. One of the company was TopTel. So I just remember getting on a call with their CEO, Brandon, and I was just like, so tell me about TopTel, like, what do you guys do? Right, he's telling me about the company. I'm like, okay, like, what are you looking for? W w customers, what else are you doing in marketing? Right, that was the thing. And he was like, yeah, this. I'm like, okay, so you're doing Facebook ads. You clearly have metrics. What's your acquisition cost? Yeah, so it was like, like what is your acquisition cost? I think we can provide you these many customers. So it's acquisition time, cost times customers. How's that for the price? And they were like, yeah, like, if you give us six customers, we're basically spending the same as Facebook. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it sounds very simple to me, but like, I don't know why anyone else wasn't doing it. And then it just, then it kept going on. And then, then it was, and then I think the other thing I was just talking to someone um, on Twitter, like one of the questions I always ask like creators is like, okay, you've sold ad deals. How many deals have you sold and how many people came back? And like, it sucks for people. Like they're like, they, it sucks, right? They're, most creators are just turning sponsors, right? Because yeah. and then we go, they're like, like, what, like, how do we know? I'm like, did you email the brand after the campaign and ask how it went? And they're like, no. What? Why? Right? It's, it's, it's a, they paid you to do something. Yeah. How did it go? <laughs> and so I would do like, like strategically do that. I would suggest improvements. And instead of trying to now sell more responses, I was like, what else can we do? Oh, like this is working. What if you produce a course? What if you like actually put your pixel on our face, like website 
so that you can run ads with our creator's face on Facebook, targeting mm. those same people. So, so it's like, mm. you're not spending money to like promote my client, but it also benefits you, right? So we added all of these things that then they would like pay more for. And so mm. they, they were a customer for like, actually the entire time I ran the sponsorship, like four or five years wow. in the running. And it was a very good call where, how was this year? Great, great. Same thing next year? Great, great. Six figures closed. And so a lot of creators just don't... I think aligning the incentives and understanding their goals, mm -hmm. you know, and how they, how much value they put on their goals. Yeah. You know, that's the, like, performance-based but, but it's like, like, if you don't know what they're looking for, how, do you, how are you going to drive growth? It's, Eamon had the best line. He's like, doing marketing without, like, someone you're addressing is like writing a love letter and addressing it to, who, to whom it may concern. <laughs> That's what most sure. people do, right? It's like, and then, and then we would like really work with the brands on the ad campaigns. So the brands would like give us a PDF. I was like, no, nah, I don't want that. Like, give me something better. Can I talk to your customers? Can we feature your customers on our ads? So it's like, let's take this to the best like Possible. campaign so that we can drive the best ROI for you because that's how you come back. Mm. See, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Like you're the through and through marketer, you know, like this, oh, yeah. this life cycle marketing thing, which like even post um, sort of, uh, you know, post campaign, the retro and like discussing like how did the ads perform you know did you benefit or not like that's just signals to me that you're so much on the team of the brand even though you're working for the creator well it's all it's the brand person and the brand and actually i'll tell you about another uh this was our, our best thing we did and like i actually hope people copy this so i'll share this which is <laughs> i would make the rec creator record a video thanking the brand and the video was very strategic it was not thank you brand it was thank you person's name and company for sponsoring us and what it means. Because whenever we send it to the rep, what is he gonna do? He's gonna share it with his own company. Right, it's like it makes him look good, it makes the company look good. Look, look good. So I would get messages from friends at those companies being like, hey, your video was like, in, is in our exec chat. And it's like, yep, that's what I want. Because a year later when we're talking about renewals, mm. who are you gonna remember? The person who sent you like the personalized thank you video and followed mm. up or like someone who you just paid and you're like, okay, like I, I don't know how the ads went. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's a whole process that we mapped out. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so one, one last thing I want to touch on is you ran the fellowship at OnDeck, right? We, both of us, were, we worked briefly together. We had so much fun. What were two or three big lessons you learned from that experience? Speed and focus. Mm. So I think there's that, like one thing we got right and one thing we got wrong, because so, I want to just like share both. Um, the way, like... I remember like entering, like joining the company and just feeling like you're being swept by this wave of motion or momentum, <laughs> right? And it was my first experience having that. And I realized now, like trying to recreate it, how important that was. So hard. It's so hard to get yeah. it right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because like the whole culture was like, like that. momentum. Yeah. But I think the converse of that is like we moved so fast. We never came up and we're like, wait, should we be doing this? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think like focus, not just. That, that can be like number of fellowships. It's like the number of things you're doing, all that stuff. Um, we were doing like, like we, we went, I, I even looked at like, looked back at our whole fellowship and I was like, if we reduced the number of events by half, we probably would have done better because yeah. people felt so overwhelmed by like yeah. all the value that we gave, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think like focus and what's the minimum effective dose is something I really think about in, in that way. I think what, what are your lessons? My lessons, is, my lessons is something you touched on earlier um, in a different context, which is um, really playing the game, being on your fellow's side and making sure that 
This is about their success. That's the game. It's not that we ran a cohort, we have so many fellows, so, many, so much revenue. That's great. That's the outcomes, right? That's like something you can brag about. It's cool. But it's just like the way you described everything about the brands and would they come back? How can we make it better for you? How can we write your copy for you? All that good stuff. I'm like, I think um, that's what I'm leaning towards when I'm getting my chance to write, do my own fellowship at the BIPF. And I feel like even now I'm not doing as good of a job I could do. It's easier, I think, somehow to do that in a white glove service business. Like when I ran the consulting, you know, last year I did like briefly, it was every day I was waking up and thinking, how can I make my client more successful, period, yeah. right? But when it comes to cohort, I almost think that we just leave the onus on the student and the slash fellow and like hope that they catch some stuff, you know? Yeah. Because of the scale, of course, there's an excuse, right? It's like the scale is too big and you can't really give personal attention, which is all fair. But even if it's not personally you holding their hand, are you creating systems? Yes. Are you creating information libraries? Like, are you making it so damn easy that they can't, you know, skip, you know, skip yeah. the steps? You know what I mean? So, I think that is something I'm learning from. Well, and this conversation is really exciting for me, by the way. It's really energizing because you're kind of giving me that nudge to lean more towards that side. Yeah. Um, given I don't have big scale now, I only have ten to twenty well, people. Let me ask because I think. Uh, from what I remember, your NPS basically destroyed every other fellowship. Is that correct? <laughs> we had the highest NPS for, I think, two or three years. Yeah. What was your NPS again? Just, just, just so everyone hears this. I think it was 82 or 85. I think it was 85, 82 in audience one, yeah. the first ever. And then in the third one, we did 85, I think. So we had, and, we and, beat our own I think record. you hit 90s at some point, right? Or, or was that? I think it was close. But nobody else, I feel like nobody else had 80s, you yeah, know, no, until then. I think nobody else had 70s. So yeah. I'm just like, for you, when you're thinking of a cohort at that scale of like 100 plus people, what were things that you were doing that were like the thing that like was the value which got people to give the NPS? It's never the thing you think it is. It's always something else. So what was <laughs> I that? don't know, man. I feel like so much of it, I feel like genuinely caring about them. You know, I think I, I genuinely made sure that, um, I think one thing was very helpful for me because I was a no-code maker myself a few years ago. Right. And so in 2018, October, I was in the exact pit of, despair of like not knowing how to build something and like having to go through the whole bubble journey. Um, I made sure that the curriculum was designed in a way yeah. that it really solved for those needs that I personally, I don't think had. it was so a curriculum. Market. That, that I can tell you, I don't think that the success of the curriculum, I just, it's <laughs> okay. A, it's, so that's one. The number two maybe, is maybe, but I think it was something you did. Like it's something that's unique to you. I think it's very hard. It's like asking Tim Ferriss, well, you know, like yeah. what's his, I, I, I don't know. I think even now, by the way, we have insane high NPS. We just had, first of all, we had 100% completion, which is, I'm celebrating that because, you know, back then, I remember getting people to complete forms was such a big, hard, you know, deal. And so now we just had 100%. And I think we're in like 90, 90 NPS just now in the last cohort. That's amazing. But it's smaller because, of course, I think it's, but to be honest, though, if, we, if, I really, if you really ask me, I think we did something very unique where every two weeks we would pause and I would have a emergency town hall or some kind of a you know periodic town hall with the fellows and I would show my cards to them that here's what the next few sessions are coming. Here's what I hope to address as challenges, right. that, so, so, solutions to the challenges that I think you might have. Help me pick the right ones and eliminate the wrong ones. So they felt like they were involved in the decision-making yeah. And I literally would move some meetings, I mean, some sessions, like even with Ryan Hoover or whoever I need to move, mm -hmm. I would just say, let's move to the next cohort because it's not a good fit or whatever. And so I think they saw that I, I literally had that, their interests, you know, ahead of my interests. And maybe that, that helped, you know? And also we had a, 
I also realized that the having a capstone at the end is a massive momentum booster. Yes. People love and they get like graduation, right? Like, yeah, like you're like releasing college. something. Yeah, yeah. This adrenaline rush that comes out of that mm -hmm. moment. And I think now that with VIPF, I don't have a capstone. So I'm seeing the downsides of that. Okay. It's like, it's very hard to get people to go into momentum if you don't have an external sort of a, uh, some kind of a North Star like that. So, you know, so many of those little things played a role. But I think um, in terms of my biggest takeaway was, you know, you will never lose if you have your customer's best interest yeah, in your heart, completely. period. I mean, that's Amazon, right? Yeah. That's Jeff Bezos telling us. I thought it was cheesy when I first heard it back then. I was like, now I'm like, I realize how rare it is in business. That's why I've talked to so many podcasters, so many people who have been helping the podcasters, you know, behind the scenes like you. You are so rare. I hope you know this. You know, I'm, I'm sure you don't you. get it. And I, I'm sure you think that it's just like, what, you, what the fuck, KP is just like guessing me up. No, no, no. You are a very different marketer that I think most um, brands on the other end don't get to meet on the, on the uh, creator side. Appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And, yeah. and again, I, I want to just talk a little bit about that because it's not any secret, right? It's, I spent two years, like, really mad, few years mastering growth. And I was like, monetization, then production. So it's been like this like connective journey where looking back, I can connect the dots like that whole like Steve Jobs thing. Mm. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. But yeah, I think like what you're saying comes from being able to see all positions because I now understand what the producer is doing. I now yes. I understand everyone's needs, right? And you know what's funny is actually is I think that's what the best artists do. So I'm remembering yeah. this, um, this really good book, Powerhouse CAA, which is about like CAA, which represents all the top artists, like how they started, right? Yeah. They actually talk about Tom Cruise coming to the set for the first time. And he was like, he did a shoot. And everyone goes into the trailer. Tom Cruise went to the camera guy and was like, yo, how does this work? Like, tell me more about this. Went to this other guy. Like, like he basically understood the whole thing. And so that's, I think, like the way I've always thought about it is like, I want to understand the mechanics of the system, not be a cog in the system. So it reminds me of when I was, uh, you know, before joining on deck, I had a few startup attempts and I pitched a few uh, investors. And uh, one of the pitches is so funny. Uh, I had Sean Ju. You remember, eventually Sean joined. He was at first gate at the time of um, first round. Sorry, he was at floodgate at the time. And then he joined ODX eventually as, as a partner. That was but I pitched Sean. And within few within like first five minutes, Sean said, KP, can I just stop you here? Because I was showing him some like pitch deck with 80 slides. He was showing me, what's the path you have in front of you that can get us to 100 million ARR? Right. Like you act as in like the company. I was like, why is he talking about 100 million? Why does it matter? I don't even know the game, right? Yeah. And eventually, so eventually, you know, he gave me advice to go study the game, go like, you know, talk to some other seed founders and all that. A few years later, I joined on deck, eventually became angel investor. And, you know, now, like, as you know, we, I, mean, I think you're an angel investor too. Have you invested in a few or no? I do advisory stuff. I, I don't think I'm my, I've realized like I'm more, I want to have like a share in 10 things and just go fucking inside deep yeah. there than have 20 that I'm like just not doing anything. with. Yes. So. But so the point I'm trying to make is yeah. um, when I became the angel, I did the exact same thing that Sean did. Like stop the pitch, show me the path. Yeah. Where's the 100 million RR? Where's the 1 billion outcome? And I'm like, Oh my God, when you just sit on the other side of the table, you learn the game way more than if you just had only one stance. Yes. You know? So this, just the way you talked about the brands, I think it's very important to just understand like, hey, they care about the leads and, um, you know, like CAC much yeah. more than the CPM or whatever the industry is talking e about. Even before the brand though, right? Like pull back, there's a person on the other side. What does that person care about? 
Mm. When so so th- and this is where I think again to me this is just normal. I'd be like, when did they start their job? Few months in, they're still getting their gear. So like, if I show them how it's done, it's gonna like I can be a resource. A year in, okay, like they're probably looking for a promotion. Let's like w- little simple question: What metrics do you and your boss care about? Mm. Because like, if I can help him hit the numbers he needs for his next promotion. He's going to so, go to bat. So, so I'm just like thinking about like all these like angles and, and things. The, the reverse engineering from what other people might benefit from is mind blowing to me, man. Like that's I thought so... everyone was doing it. No, no, hilarious. no. I disagree. I mean, I, so look, I have a generous heart. I'm a giver. I feel like I want to give and help, but I don't think I'm giving and helping efficiently, effectively. This adds the efficiency and effectiveness, you know, which is literally just reverse engineering about that, you know. So thank and, you for that. And, and thanks for being here. Uh, any last thoughts? Any advice on um, folks, um, you know, getting started in the podcasting game? I, I will send. I will say two. So one is yeah. what you're saying about reverse engineering. It's actually as easy as just asking. So if you just ask people, they'll tell you. And <laughs> second, if you like podcasts and if you have a favorite podcaster, message them and send them thank you because they're gonna love it. And no one does that. And that's how you actually start. Like if you send ten thank yous, you're gonna build a relationship out of them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I love, I tell people all the time, you could reply to my tweets. I couldn't care less. You could DM me. Yeah, I'll care a little bit. If you reply to my newsletter, definitely you're on my top, you know, yeah. five to 10 people of the day. If you leave a review or if you like say something about my podcast episode, like especially the last 20 minutes of something that I just put out and like leave a note to my email, you're my BFF. So it's like, that's hard. That's how rare it is. There you go. Le- leave a message for KP and leave a review for, for both of us. Awesome. One of us. <laughs> yes. Check Sachit Gupta. I'll leave all the links in the in the show notes. Thank you, Sachit. It's been a blast. Can't wait to have you again soon. Thank you for having me.